Hey everybody, welcome to the 1947 Rise podcast. A podcast that helps India-born US trained Indians get integrated into the Indian technology ecosystem and inspires them to move back to India to build massive tech companies and or help enable the tech ecosystem. We do this by interviewing India-born US trained Indians who have moved back to India and built massive tech companies themselves and or helped enable the tech ecosystem. I'm excited to have Anirudh Pandita with me today on 1947 Rise. Anirudh is the founder of Loco and Pocket Aces. Uh, Loco is India's leading gaming streaming platform. Anirudh is focused on building the future of entertainment in India. Prior to Loco, Anirudh worked in Goldman Sachs and a bunch of other places, mainly in finance, and he got his MBA at Wharton School. Anirudh, welcome to the show. Thank you, Shiva. So excited to be here. Finally, we've managed to make it happen. Absolutely. Let's start by you giving us your journey of growing up in India and then moving to the US and then moving back to India. What made you move back to India? Yeah, so I am actually born in Kashmir. I'm a Kashmiri Pandit. So I've seen interesting strife and difficult times uh, when I started life. And uh, so we moved, obviously, had to move from Kashmir to uh, Delhi, where I grew up. And then from Delhi, I moved to Kuwait, where my parents still live there. They work there. And, you know, it's, so it's been an interesting, diverse childhood for me in various different cultures and very different difficult and different experiences right so when we are now in a world with a lot of strife i don't feel so completely alien to that because we grew up with a lot of that and uh, human mind tends to forget that but you know it happens every so often uh, so you know growing up was was a great experience couldn't have asked for a better childhood i think the hard times made you value the good times you know went to america to get my engineering degree at the university of illinois which is also home to many uh, entrepreneurs like Mark Andreessen, you know, the founders of PayPal, founders of YouTube, these kind of guys. And so you always had great role models in front of you. And I primarily went to school in the US. I'd never been to the US before. So it was completely new for me. And I went there primarily because I was not sure that engineering is what I wanted to do or, and I had great interest in how ventures are built, businesses are built, but I'm from a family of no entrepreneurs, right? So there was no dinner table conversation around, you know, whether the order agya hai or, you know, if something is late and uh, what's the price of X, Y, or Z. Our dinner table conversations are much more about, you know, what's happening in sports, what's happening in the country, what's happening in the world of entertainment. So it was much more pop culture. But, you know, for me, I had an interest, had an interest in how ventures are built, how markets work. So I thought that if, you know, I got into the IITs as well. So I thought that if I go to the IITs, I might get stuck in one field, uh, frankly. So I wanted to maintain that optionality. So I went to the US. I'd never been there before. Um, so it was a completely new and interesting experience, I think, really shaped the way I think today. Um, we saw so much transformation during that time. To give you a sense, there was no iPod when I went to college. Uh, at the risk of dating myself too much. There was, in, in fact, one of my favorite memories in college and you know maybe blasphemous a bit in, in India is that in the US the books are very expensive right so you sell them to uh, used bookstores and used uh, book bookstores and try to make an extra buck or two which you can buy new books from or whatever and I remember in my last semester I sold my books and 
I was like, oh, I have like 200, 300 dollars. What do I do with this now? And it was like, for us, it was like bonanza, like as if I'd won a lucky draw. Mm-hmm. So we went and bought an iPod and I still have that iPod. So, you know, Facebook also released during that time. There was obviously no Uber, no Airbnb, none, no Snapchat, none of this. WhatsApp was also not there. So, you know, in fact, the iPhone itself had not been invented, right? And had not been disclosed to the public. And I think the year after I graduated, the first iPhone came out. So it was a transformational time. It really shaped the way I think a lot of my friends and um, future business acquaintances, uh, most of them are friends, are are from there. So it was a really, really great experience. And then I you know, thought that, look, I've done engineering. I've learned the basics of how things are built. Uh, now I need to go to understand how things are financed, how businesses work. And I always joke my undergraduate education in business came from going to Wall Street working in banking and what was the busiest time to be in banking? I think, I mean, recently, maybe it's also been busy, but, you know, 05, 06, 07, those were big years right before the the global financial crisis obviously came. And so I saw a lot of deal flow, a lot of interesting businesses. I also was one of the, you know, fortunate few who worked on many deals at the beginning and closed a lot of deals. I worked in a in the healthcare sector and what healthcare gives you a view into is it has many subsectors, right? It has a financial subsector, which is insurance, uh, something which is much more consumer-like, which is medical technology. You also have um, something which resembles a lot more what the startup world today looks like, which is biotech, right? And, and so you understood how different businesses get built. And I think that was great for me. And then I got moved to London and I moved to Dubai, worked in various uh, different sectors primarily consumer focused and that really taught me how businesses are built worked in banking and private equity and then i went to wharton to get a formal business education or a graduate degree and i think i cherished that time a lot because i was not very convinced that business school is the right way to go and i think anyone who's ever applied to business school will have you know will relate to this they have the same problems in your mind where like should i go out of the workforce for two years especially you come from a mindset like mine where I was like, I'm going to waste two years. I'm also going to miss out on so much uh, money that I was making as salary, etc. Right? You were in this fixed mindset at that time. So I think going there changed my mindset. Like I got a lot of time to think about things. And I think that's that's the most invaluable thing. And of course, over time, you know, the friends I made, the things I learned have only compounded in value. Then, then graduated from there and was working at a hedge fund when Ashwin was my roommate in college at the University of Illinois. He had just moved back to India to experience the media sector and films in particular. So he used to keep messaging me saying, hey, read the script, see this interesting thing I'm working on. And, and then, you know, I, after one year working in the US, you know, he said like, let's explore the media sector together. I'm thinking of leaving. So I also had some visa issues. So I was like, okay, if America won't have me, I need to go see some other interesting geographies. And, you know, growing up in the Middle East, every single thing that was built around me and then working in Dubai, especially, I think you saw like these massive buildings getting built by essentially by Indians. You in the US, you saw these massive companies getting built by Indians, you know, all the CEOs, etc. And so you always felt growing up that why is this not happening in India? And I think the time when I moved to India around 2013, 2014, that was changing. And I always talk about this, we were going from what I call a rent-seeking economy or a rent-based economy to an innovation-based economy. So, you know, rent-based economy is essentially you have a license to build a telco or a mine or operate a mine or run some plant. You work with the bank, you work with the government, you manage those and you kind of are essentially in business, right? And so what you have before matters a lot. You Capital matters a lot, connections matter a lot, ability to manage regulations matter a lot. I think the advent, especially of Flipkart, I think transformed India. I think to see two guys who really had nothing, you know, turn their idea and their vision into 
a very useful and daily product. We saw it all around you. I think that was pretty inspiring. And then, of course, there were many at that time, right? I think India just had that journey. And I remember using Paytm for the first time, using Uber in India for the first time. All of those things, you you felt like, oh, I could be anywhere in the world now because that the difficulties and the problems we always felt with India, that infrastructure is bad, things are not moving in the right direction. You know, it's hard to do business. Those things were getting easier. Living became easier. Internet was everywhere, right? So those things really helped. And I started seeing the innovation-based businesses also getting built. So I think that that was a key focal point for me. I felt like, okay, if it's not going to be now, you know, when I'm 50 years old, I'm not going to, uh, you know, regret whether I've, you know, made a certain move at 48 or 52. What I will definitely regret is not experiencing what I always dreamed of as a kid that India will advance and, you know, your podcast also called 1947 Rise, like there's a strong freedom and independence, you know, that we want as a country. So I felt that, okay, for ventures, this is the time. And I said, let me go experience it for a year, see what happens. And uh, then we'll go from there. I'd never been to Bombay before. So it was a surprise for me. Like I said, I grew up earlier, was in mostly in the north in Delhi and in, in, in JNK. So I had a very different viewpoint mm-hmm. on what Bombay will be like. Um, yeah. But you know, today it's home for me. So it's been an it's been an amazing journey, and of course, we'll we'll discuss the ventures as well. But yeah, that's how I came back, and yeah, I've never left since. Yeah, no, you've uh, you had a very interesting uh, life experiences as of now, right? In the beginning, it wasn't easy. A lot of uh, things that you've seen, I guess, that was good in a way, in hindsight at least. You know, it set you up uh, for bigger things later on. And then, you know, you, you knew how to build things. You went to US, you know, got the experience, the exposure there. I went to, you know, do your master's to really learn how to build, you know, businesses are built, right? And then banking. Uh, and I'm glad that, you know, the dinner conversations were not about businesses. They were mostly around pop culture <laughs> and, and, and entertainment. Otherwise, you know, local wouldn't have been, uh, you know, would, would be there, right? Uh, and I guess everything happens for a reason. And uh, I'm glad that you're yeah, back. And let I think I wanted about. to, you know, I wanted to pick up on a point that which you just said, which is, you know, local wouldn't have happened. I think you're absolutely right. I think both the ventures actually would not have happened. Every single thing I learned growing up, obviously, apart from my discussing with my parents was through the television and you know there is this whole narrative that the internet is bad and social media is bad and yes there are obviously negative elements to everything but today if you want to learn something it's very easy go on youtube type how to do x and you can know that yeah um you know and i think i also had i we didn't travel much when we were younger but having a nat nat geo or discovery you saw so many things sports which is Kind of fundamental core to my being. I love sports. I'm a big fan. I used to play a lot of sports also. Uh, but that also came through television, right? And those things would not have happened if I didn't have people in my life. Like my parents were not so strict. They were always open. I go have good experiences. My dad bought after much annoying annoyance from my side. I annoyed him a lot that I need a gaming console. So that time it used to be those 10,000 in one type games. You know that you played games as, as a fun thing. And I think growing up playing games help me, you know, think through how we're going to build, you know, Loco as well. So you're absolutely right about that. I think this is a very uh, important thing to have happened. Yeah. And uh, let's talk about uh, Pocket Aces real quick and we'll dig deeper into Loco. 
how all that came about. Yeah, like I said, Ashwin, my co-founder at uh, Pocket Aces, he was thinking of starting some venture in media. We didn't, he didn't know what. He felt there was an interesting opportunity in general. And I think that's usually for people who want to start things. That's how things happen. You get a sense for something's going to change. You're feeling it firsthand. Or you're feeling that pain yourself, that angst yourself. Uh, look, you know, I was looking to come back, so I felt okay. This is a cool thing. I have someone who's you know, trusted dear friend, but also someone I had built things with before. Uh, him and I had built a cricket team before. We had worked on a um, investment banking club. So we knew, you know, how to handle ups and downs, how to handle conflicts, how to get out of groupthink, right? So I felt, okay, comfortable that we could start something together. And he had become a uh, sector expert, right? He had worked in the film industry for a bit. So I felt, okay, he knows the industry a bit. So I I was a generalist coming in. So I needed someone who at least had some view into the industry. So I think that's, we, we got started. And just like every other venture, the first idea we had is terribly naive and silly in comparison to what we've actually ended up building. And, you know, as as people who are looking to start businesses, who I'm sure there are many on, on, on your podcast who listen to your podcast, you know, your final idea and your initial idea will, you know, be very different usually. You don't have to get fixated so much on, you know, what is the quality of my idea, which is a very weird thing that people get fixated on. But of course, that's how we've been taught, especially if you work in big companies, you analyze everything to death and the reality is that the analysis will never work uh, in your favor because the odds are never in your favor. It's not like the expected value of your outcome is going to be just right and you can take a risk or you can start a venture. You It always comes from a feeling of pain, deep passion for something, uh, an exploratory spirit and some a problem or an idea doesn't leave you, right? And for us, we felt, look, the film industry's cultural context, Indian film industry's cultural context and economic context were highly divergent. Like, you know, you go to any country and you will always feel that people know Indian culture, like they know Indian movies. They, they would have heard of Shah Rukh Khan. They would have heard of, you know, even, even as far back as Raj Kapoor, right? Mm-hmm. They, they go back and they say, okay, yeah, we'll do like this. So we do like this kind of content. And uh, my grandfather used to hear it. And, and so you, you feel oh, like these guys know about it. Then how come our box office is only a billion dollars big in the Hindi film industry? That is what it was in 2013, 2014. And with the South, whether it's Tamil Telugu, you know, Malayalam, primary Tamil Telugu, it was another billion that they were pulling in. And they were doing much better work as they continue to do now, I feel. You know, so $2 billion and you look at Lord of the Rings and you're doing one $2 billion by itself. You're like, what's going on, man? Like, how? Like either our business is really broken or our content is broken. And the reality is that, so we felt that, oh, look, like this is a problem we could solve. We dug deeper into uh, what was going on and, you know, we came up with the thesis. And our thesis was, look, you know, guys like uh, Salman and Shahrukh and Amir, like, they're not stupid, right? They, you know, there's there's always like, you know, when you hang out with the film types, there's always like, they make bad content, kharaab content, banate, masala content. Banate. Mm-hmm. Why don't we make content-based films? And the answer actually lay very in a very simple thing is that if you make films for India and you have to make the economics work for yourself, you end up you know, opening films in, you know, 5,000 screens or so. So means you're making for everybody in India. And so you end up making a hodgepodge of stuff because you want the whole family to be happy. So actually nobody's really happy at the end of it. Everybody's kind of okay. And then nobody's really unhappy, right? So you're basically managing that experience for them at the theater, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus making genre-based films where only specific audiences come. And if, if you make a genre-based film in India, you may not have a deep enough audience to make a profit. 
So we felt, okay, let's make genre-based films. And we have it such that the urban centers in India at least help us cover our cost. And then we go abroad for the profits, right? This is kind of like the naive idea that we had. And uh, we will, we believed it truly because we generally felt there was a problem. And our first angel round was raised on that. And then we started and we nearly made a movie. And uh, we bought rights to multiple things, which some of which we still own. And, you know, actually we bought rights to things like from people who have now won multiple Oscars, which is unbelievable given that we were really just two kids or yep. two young people just starting off. And I think that also shows you how far you can go if you, uh, you know, suspend your cynicism for a bit and take a leap forward. So we started like that and then, you know, it was not working out very well. It was, you know, uh, and when I say very well, we were very close to making a movie. But what we felt was and, and what the reality became was that getting everybody's dates was taking time. And we were we didn't want to make something with someone who's either less talented or, you know, we wanted the right people. We wanted the right, both on the technical side as well as the marketing side, creator side. And we had gotten a lot of those things together in an unbelievable manner. I mean, I pitched one of India's biggest stars. He used to come to my gym and he used, I just pitched him on like, he was running next to me on a treadmill and I just pitched him saying, hey, he's like, who are you, bro? Like, I don't know you. And <laughs> and then, you know, I started got got chatting with him and he said, you know, why don't you come to my house and it sounds interesting, you sound like an honest person. And he, he, he was very open to doing the film. So, but that, then his dates didn't align with the director's dates and we, Ashwin and I then sat back and said, look, like this doesn't look like a startup. This is the opposite of a startup where, where time is going and we're not able to move fast. So it's a slow moving creature, high fixed costs where you have to put a lot of money up front towards all these people. And there is no ability to uh, pivot, right? Like by the time you release a film, your film and its sensibilities may not align with the audience anymore. So very quickly, we started thinking that, look, we need to change the model. We need to be in a place where we're rapidly releasing content. And uh, we actually went to Cannes. Uh, there was a uh, MIP TV conference there. And we were already in our mind thinking about digital content. We had sat back and had this discussion, like I was telling you about, you know, this is too slow. The film is too slow. It's almost anti-innovation. What do we do? Can we make something in digital? That's what we saw around us in 2015. Um, you know, 20, late 2014, early 2015 is that people were, everybody, if you walked into a building, right from the gatekeeper or the reception, a receptionist who greeted you all the way up to the person you wanted to meet and people and who were riding the elevator with you, everybody was watching little clips on their phone. Right? And that time, mostly YouTube uh, was being watched. And early, the early internet, obviously. Right? And people used to monitor how much data they're using and all that. So that's when we felt that, look, if this is the future, we have to build for the future, which is where disruption is taking place. And we didn't see any media company around us. And we had this fortune of actually meeting so many people in the media industry the year before. None of them were really focused on this problem. Most of them didn't, frankly, even believe that the phone would take over. They were like, this has never happened. And as young people who had seen disruption happen in many other fields, we were like, no, 100% it's going to happen. There is no way that we, we will have just shared screen experiences. It's too good not to... Uh, you know, as a value proposition. And so we went to Cannes, like I was telling you, went to MIPTV, which is a conference there where a bunch of guys come and talk about what they've done, a bunch of these big television companies, now who what we call OTTs. At that time, they were just weird companies, new companies trying to do some innovative things. They were all in the innovation category. But we saw like Netflix said, oh, we'll do X number of originals. And they were huge. They were like 20, 30 originals. We saw... Even someone like a Vice or BuzzFeed, they were saying, you know, we'll do X, you know, huge number of originals. And we're like, wow, like this is a different world. And 
you were you know it's as if like you had seen the mountain from far away and mm-hmm. then now you came close by and you're like wow it's huge it's real it's not it's not a figment of my imagination it exists so that's when we came back and we changed the model completely we had gotten a small team together all those people are very famous now you know all of them uh you know they were just friends of ours or people we had met with a similar mission of mm-hmm. transforming content and and then we quickly figured out that look our mission has to be to uh, entertain people uh, on the mobile phone and we have to figure out how that works and that's how pocket is as you know it has come to be um, you know it was obviously a company made for film initially and yep. immediately as we went direct to consumer we realized that the name also doesn't work right so you know people used to call us and say are pocket access hai pocket access hai and we were like no no it pocket access and i remember I, even our logo was initially made on uh, one of these uh, 99 design type things and yeah most of the uh, submissions that came in were just a pocket with two aces in it and we were like no it's not literally a pocket with aces like can has can we have a different design and we actually found our designer through that one of these uh, you know crowdsourced websites and he designed a lot of stuff for us till uh, very recently and uh, he doesn't live in india he did it in spare time right which mm-hmm. also tells you about you know we always talk about work from home now we talk about yeah. gig economy you we saw signs of that early right we, we don't know this guy i've never met him only exchanged uh, emails have few google calls he's an indian guy in in australia and he he was he was cool about you know he said i work in my spare time this will be a nice project for me so pay me whatever you like it's just a fun thing for me so i was like that's insane so we we did that and that's how we got started and the first thing we started was dice media uh, which was essentially us being very arrogant i think in retrospect saying oh we know better what content india wants to watch let's pipe it directly to them and our fallacy in our thinking was compounded by the fact that the first video we ever made went super viral like it went mega viral i think must have 20 30 million views completely organically and we felt wow this is so easy like why do people praise these other companies that are out there and then we failed a lot but at the same time we started filter copy and filter copy was like our experiment channel that was where we tried things and quickly realized actually the magic is in trying things because what you think you know is not actually correct it is correct some of the time but not all of the time whereas by experimenting you find answers quickly and on the cheap and i think that changed our model completely and then i think we never looked back we also chose facebook as our first distribution medium which was again kind of against the logic prevalent logic at that time it was contrary and to some extent and mm-hmm. because everybody was on youtube we just felt like everybody is on youtube so you know they already have stars there so we should become a star on some other platform and that was youtube and that was facebook and then soon facebook made us so famous that people started searching on youtube so we became big on youtube also and then we started making conscious choices about where consumers were going to go and we were super data driven and like most creators because i don't have i always say like creativity is overrated in the sense that people what people think is creativity is not creativity is this excuses for not performing and you know you can use data very well to inform your gut and then you know sometimes you follow data sometimes data follows you but this hypothesis based content creation worked extremely well for us and and yeah we scaled very very quickly and and that's how the firm got started yeah a lot of lot of learnings a lot of pivots ignorance ignorance typically is good uh, a lot of the times and 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 yeah uh, anirudh i think now you're scaling loco really fast i think you have uh, users in millions uh, would love to understand more where loco is today and uh, and what's the magical outcome you have in mind for loco i think we're in a 
10-15 year phase where you know what hanging out means is changing pretty dramatically and what has happened is the lockdown and what we've experienced the collective trauma I would say and the disruption to how we used to live uh, has happened in the last couple of years right in fact I always now use this term last year as if like 2020 was last year because there's been such a long continuum of time and you've lost track but interesting thing that's happened during this time is we spent so much time online like you and I are doing this online you know I remember people who had uh, called me for the first two three podcasts I done they were in person in a studio with you know fancy equipment and you know mm-hmm. kind of cramped studio but you know all this great great equipment and I was like wow I felt really legit I was like oh I must have made it in life that someone has asked me to come here but the reality is the output is you know that's a bad way of thinking because the output is yeah. better in this way we've quickly gotten this done you know i'm in a different country you're in a different country we've moved around but the output is going to be your listeners are going to be listening to it very quickly and i think hanging out online has fundamentally changed and i think for us uh, you know you asked me what the thinking is around the core is that you know the first wave of entertainment got democratized by the social platforms right what you have to say you know it's not just that some guy on a pulpit in a newspaper can tell us what to think we can put our thoughts out in the world there's good and bad to that obviously but from an entertainment and pure entertainment lens it's been excellent because the amount of talent that's come out you know has been amazing uh, we have utilized a very different time band especially with short form content so with gaming i feel it's these two things coming together which is that you have a completely new way of hanging out online uh, you know and and i always compare it to sports because you know sports was not just that i like throwing a ball right like or like you like kicking a ball i mean that's like saying you like video games but it's also about the skill and the strategy right the skill is how well i throw the ball or how well i play it mm-hmm. uh strategy of how you win in a game you know how you approach it how how you play in a team and then the the act of just hanging out like most of my friends in life have come from sports that i played with them right and yep. activities i've done with them but mostly sports right either watching or playing and then later in life it became more about video games as i became more and more unfit <laughs> uh, <laughs> i i started playing more games online but the the excitement still remained and you know uh, i just feel that that hanging out online that aspect is what games today allow you to do which was not possible earlier right you yeah. played a html5 game could not really hang out it was like okay you're playing it's entertaining but it's not it's a single person one person entertainment versus you know you and me go out in a bgmi map and we're just hanging out and we die from time to time but most of the time we're chatting about other stuff right and yeah once in a while if we're actually that good we get competitive and we you know we start competing and getting better at uh, that part of it so for us the key thought is always to democratize this gaming entertainment basically for me gaming allows you to break through constraints right you don't it doesn't matter what you look like it doesn't matter what your sex is what your religion is you know your skill your hard work your hustle your grind they matter a lot and you know whether you are an entertainer like you have fun while playing these games or whether you are someone who's competitively really good uh, those are just things that you know you can today have a phone and either become that entertainer either through your skill or uh, skill in uh, you know maybe say comedy or how you present content or in how you play uh you know you or you can get entertained open the phone you see it and the great thing is that you don't have to be a silent spectator you can get involved you can tell them how you feel you can play the game also so it's not like i see a movie and then i don't know like okay i don't know how they do it and i have no idea whereas in a game if i see you playing 
BGMI, I can download BGMI, start playing it. I'm like, oh, cool. Everything makes much more sense now. And you experience it in a more deeper manner than anywhere else. So for me, Loco is now a place where, you know, all of this happens. And like I said, as we are, you know, hanging out online, mm-hmm. where do we share our experiences of hanging out online? So, you know, when, when we talk about real life experiences, right, whether it's a fun trip you went on, a party you went on, just meeting a friend, seeing an interesting thing, you should take a picture or something you used to put it on Facebook, now you put it on Instagram. Maybe some people put it on WhatsApp. But those are real world experiences. What about virtual experiences? Where do we put those? Where do we make those connections now online, right? And I think that's what Loco is. is it's essentially us building a social experience platform for the virtual world. And, you know, if today you, you and I played a game and we did a... Uh, we had a fun a session or we had a one we four kill that you did an amazing crazy thing in a, in a game or a comedy moment in in a in a GTA game if you mm-hmm. put it up on Facebook like your grandmom is on Facebook right so it is not the right community anymore it's very different from when I started using Facebook uh, as my primary you know community or primary page but I would just see where my friends are now people are kind of doing it on Instagram but for this use case where it's us hanging out virtually you're going to get lot of weird stares <laughs> from friends, family, etc. If you do it on just Facebook or, or even Instagram to an extent. So community of gamers, the people who are hanging out online, which is a lot of young people, we are trying to make that come alive in, in Boko and make it an interactive fun experience. And I think we're in a, it's not a, you know, short journey. It's a, going to be a long 10, 15 year journey where platforms may change on us and we have to provide the same value. Tomorrow, whether yeah. it's a VR headset or whether it's, uh, you know, using some of the new tools and technologies that have come for us by the Web3, which I really, really am a big believer is changing the fan experience completely. You know, these things are, if I think about the world 10 years from now, I feel like these are things that will exist on local. So, long way to go. We are at the center of the gaming universe through streaming, but there's a lot of things we're building around it, which will make it a really, really fun, fun place to be. Yeah, no, <clears throat> love it, Anirudh. Uh, excited for you and the team at, uh, at local. Look, I think... Your experiences in life have probably, you know, shaped you uh, as an interesting person. And why I say that is like, you know, moving to a bunch of different places, uh, working in different industries and, uh, and, you know, living in again, like US and back when let's say, you know, what frameworks do you use uh, when things are not working out for you, right? You've pivoted many times. You, it's been a very long journey and still it's going to be a long journey ahead. Uh, framework that you use to bring yourself back on track. Look, this question that you asked me is a really interesting question. I've not really been asked this on a podcast before, but I think it's a very relevant question. And one of the things that I always talk about is how PMF, which is the holy grail of what we do, right? Uh, or, or MPF, whatever, whichever order you like saying the term. And I actually like market work quite a bit. The M is dynamic. It's not a static concept. It's not like you can say, I found PMF, so that's it. I'm going to you know, rest on my laurels. The reality is the M keeps changing and which is why new products are needed all the time because the market and consumer behavior, consumer expectations, pains all keep uh, evolving. So both from a business and I, you know, I'll answer your question in two different dimensions. One is on the business side, one is on the professional side, uh, sorry, on the personal side. So on the business side, um, I always a look at taking a step back and seeing what the truth is, right? Under all the sales under all everything that you're saying you have to know what the truth is is my business 
hitting the PMF metrics that I like. What is the truth behind my business? Is is it solving the core problem, right? And I always look at that, right? And sometimes the data is a bit behind. So you look at leading indicators, look at soft data. You know, are people like, for example, for my platform, I look at do people message me? What are they saying in their messages? Are they angry? Are they happy? If they're angry, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing because you know, anger means they care, like they want something. Like there is a deep and you know that for the first year in Loco, I used to get a lot of angry messages. You know, this is not working. This is broken. Right. So it helped me essentially build the product. And when they're happy, of course, you are. Uh, you know, you are obviously very, very uh, full of gratitude that you are making such a big difference and gives you positive encouragement. Uh, so always look. You know, for me, the framework that I look at is. You know, what are the PMF indicators? Is there a core value in the business that's being built? And what do I need to change? And what are the top things I need to prioritize? Because you don't have infinite time, right? And you need to prioritize and do a few things. And then I then I look at kind of how much time do I have? Is it something that can be solved right away? Or does it need to be something that I can solve slowly? Because then I can prioritize things even better. And uh, so having that sort of Understanding what is important and how urgent it is gives you some sense. But I think the most important is always to just take a step back and say, okay, nothing matters. Whatever, however wrong it is, whatever it is, you can take a step back and tomorrow you have to do one small task. So what is that task going to be? How is it going to help you get to your end goal? So I think evaluating the metrics, being honest to yourself and, uh, you know, having that ability. And then one thing I use very, uh, often is essentially writing things down. So if I feel something is bothering me or something needs to be investigated, looked at, I usually write a note. And I don't like presentations. I completely, completely am a big believer in the Amazon, so-called Amazon way of writing things, where you actually write the state of the union, you write. I mean, a lot of our product processes at Loco are uh, run with that sort of thought mm -hmm. process. But writing things down helps you immensely. A, it helps you Kind of be honest to yourself because you will know the critical thinking will come out in front of you. You will know where your gaps are. You will know, I don't know this. I don't know this. This might be wrong. This might be a hypothesis that needs testing. So immediately, it gives you a roadmap of how to fix things when things are not going so well. right? And, and you go back to the basics. So I think that's important. And then I think on the personal side, right? And when I mean your personal life or on your professional life, and they're not, they're both obviously dependent on each other. On the personal side, I always try and disconnect a bit from the noise. Mm -hmm. and this could be by traveling somewhere else, by cutting yourself off from the internet for a bit, uh, ensuring that you have some time to yourself to just think. Because till you spend time to your needs, you are always reacting to things. So this is like, you know, in cricket, they always say, right, like, sort of Ganguly coming late to a toss or like you waiting for the bowler to come bowl to you versus just constantly pummeled, which is what you feel like usually when you're losing or you're behind. You take a step back and create that gap. And, and then you create, for me, I create atmospheres that remind me of my most positive or most productive being, right? So that could be the where I sit, that could be what I drink, what I eat, when I work, books and things. You know, you always talk to your idols through books because they usually they talk to you. Just rereading those things helps you a lot in just getting your mind right. And then I uh, use Headspace quite a bit. It helps me tremendously to just get your mind space in the right place. And I think then realizing that nothing is as bad as it looks or as good as it looks. There's always, if you're doing well, something will go wrong. If you're doing something's looking very bad there's always a silver lining something good will come out of it so finding that is important and then the lastly you know something i've done for a long time but has been reinforced by advice that i've received from some of the people on 
uh, who have invested in 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 our company and um, also some of the sporting giants who I follow is essentially controlling the controllable, right? If tomorrow there is a regulation, right, that you don't know about, there's nothing you can do about it. It's really not in your control. So having this deep sense of anxiety about it will not help you, right? So sometimes I almost feel like if I feel regulations out of my hand, I'm like, look, this is going to land in my favor anyway or going to land against me anyway. Like there's nothing I can do about it. So in either case, what is my plan? What can I control today? And that's only thing you can worry about and uh, focus a lot on the execution. I think that's the other thing I always tell myself when it's like, okay, if something has gone wrong, what can I do? Well, tomorrow. Because what is gone is gone. I can't change that. So I think that's, those are important things. I think taking care of yourself mentally, physically, obviously, at that time is also important. Uh, but it's, you know, the sports aspect of it, which is, you know, if you talk, when I was younger, I didn't understand it, even though I played a lot more sport at that time, which was, people always talk about the mental side of the game. And I think as I've gotten older, that's been more and more in my mind that I have, my mind has to be right. My mindset has to be right. And, um, you are skilled enough usually if you're playing a particular level, right? You know, whether you're doing a startup or whatever, where you have the skills to execute. If you don't, then obviously get skilled. That's, a diff- that's also an answer. But just making sure that your mindset is right is is uh, quite important. And I think uh, surround yourself uh, last year or just surround yourself with the right kind of people. People who are not just telling you, you know, comforting lies. They tell you the unpleasant truths because that helps you do what I told you very first thing which is that if you're not able to figure out something is wrong they tell you xyz things are possibly wrong and rather getting mad at them you should say okay are what they're saying the truth is what this person has just told me is it reality because sometimes your version of reality is wrong because as soon as you get that reality check i think you will react in the right way no well uh you know the life and the world is weird right i think it's important to have uh, the right frameworks stay mentally physically and emotionally fit uh, other things will probably, and again, it's like most things are probable, come into uh, the place. And Anirudh, if let's say money and attention are not needed anymore, what would you work on? I actually don't worry about money or attention, <laughs> weirdly. So, uh, you know, one framework that I do use uh, very, very often is essentially, you know, is something I'm going to do, is that going to hurt reputation or cause financial ruin, right? This is, if if those two things are not being impacted, I, I don't worry about it. I try and see how best can I provide value to something, right? Which I find interesting. And luckily, I am someone who finds, uh, you know, self-motivation and finds a lot of things interesting. You could put me in a, in front of a building and say, figure out how to build this building or could put me in a sport and say, I figure out how to make this thing better. And I, I find enough motivation. There are things I don't like so much, uh, in particular or certain problems I may not like, but I don't work for either of those things. I work primarily to create value for other people. When I see other people using the tool, feeling happy, you know, doing something which they couldn't do earlier, that motivates me quite a bit. Like attention and and it's funny because actually I work in an attention business. We have monetized that as well. The, The point is that both of those don't make any difference at three in the morning when you're trying to solve something. It has to be something inside of you which is burning. And so I always, you know, for me that finding that problem is important. That's why like I also ask my team to do this, which is don't worry about the answers. Worry about the questions. If the questions are interesting for you. You will find there are and there are many answers to questions, right? It's I actually say life is often like a you know painting competition. It's not a science or a mathematics exam where there is only one answer. 
there's usually three four different things that can work and it's like a painting competition you see someone told you to draw a day out with your family the first prize would go to someone who drew a mountain second prize would go to someone who's drawn a beast third prize could be someone who found a mars right and that's what they've drawn the point is that all three are the right answer some obviously become dominant solutions or whatever but there is enough to do usually when all votes are rising and when you are especially in the startup world so so that that's how i i kind of think about uh, this particular topic Love it, Anirudh. Thanks a lot for for making the time and coming on the podcast. I had a lot of, I had fun hanging out with you. It was it was so much fun. Thanks a lot. Thank you. It's been it's been a pleasure, and uh, you've got me thinking much more about how I work versus what I've done. So I I like that, and I think that's going to stay with me. <laughs>